0: Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brad Bernard,
1: Cassie Schrader.
0: And we'll be right back in just a couple minutes. Our special guest, David's Kauf, a, a phenomenal subject we're going to be talking about. Uh, and what a day to talk about it. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Walzer Automotive Group started in Minnesota over 60 years ago. Most people know something about the Walzer Way upfront, no haggle pricing, work with one person from start to finish, or the free lifetime powertrain warranty on most vehicles sold in Minnesota. Please don't say, tell him Tommy sent you, because it sounds fake, and I hate it. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt, then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company, and they start asking you questions, or they try to settle your case early and cheap. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out.
3: Well, it works.
0: It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. Oh, that's right. we got to play this because it's Dean Martin's birthday, too. So it's yes. Prince.
1: Prince, Everybody Tom Jones, and Dean Martin.
0: Prince, Tom Jones, and Dean Martin. All musical Everybody geniuses.
1: Well, Tom Jones, I don't know. <laughs> Women think he is. <laughs> yeah,
0: I suppose that's true. Something I've never thrown my un- underwear out of know
1: No.
0: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our very, very special guest today, and the timing of this is is pretty amazing. So I do appreciate your time today, David It's golf. How are you?
4: I'm good. Thank you for uh, having me on.
0: I will tell you, you you basically have saved me, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I think God hates me, and I'm not even on oh, the Oh, I religious. doubt
4: that. I doubt that. Come
0: on. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> uh, the Reels Channel, R-E-E-L-Z, did a three-hour thing, uh, one hour and then a separate two-hour thing on Robin Williams, and I recorded them, all three hours of it, both shows, and mm-hmm. I watched them um the night before Kate Spade so uh, i was very depressed because i i loved robin williams i thought he was an amazing amazing performer what a great yeah. talent uh and then finding out all these things about robin williams which we were about to talk about i i was kind of depressed about it anyway and i'm sitting here on the show uh that was tuesday correct i believe right. so we're sitting here tuesday and my wife said Kate Spade just killed herself. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Then I find out she did it exactly the same way. She used a scarf, whereas Robin used a belt. But, um, Dave, I'm sure you know this already, but one of the last pictures ever taken, public pictures ever taken of Robin Williams was at the Dairy Queen in Lindstrom, Minnesota because he was at Hazelden. That's right. Yeah. And, And so there's a picture of him. He was nice enough to take a picture of the, uh, the young lady who worked at Dairy Queen. So we saw this picture, and we're like, oh, how great is this? Look at how nice this man is. And he, he came in to, to get a checkup. And then a couple of days later, he was dead. And, and Yeah. It was shocking. So, so I, I felt terrible watching those three hours on Monday night. I wanted to watch it. I learned a lot about him, both good and some things that aren't all that great, because he was human and then the Kate Spade thing happened the next day. So now today, so within a 4-day period, I was lost at sea and now David cough is here to to save me. So I appreciate well, that day.
4: <laughs> I will try to live up to that uh introduction, but uh, no, I I understand what you're saying. It's it's a lot to uh take in, a lot to process and you know, it's 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 hard when we uh when we lose people like this, and yeah. in, in ways that uh, we can't comprehend, when we, we sort of realize uh, we don't know what's going on entirely, in, in their lives, the parts of their lives that we can't see, we don't know what's taking place, and uh, you know, we, we 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 can't help but uh, internalize that either. That uh, you know, we take right. we you know, we, we we of course want to know why we want we want explanations. We want sort of logical answers and and you know I don't know that they're uh, they're not always uh, you know readily available to us so it, there aren't always sort of clear answers. I know that you know even in the case of Kate Spade, I, you know we don't really know all the circumstances so there were a lot of conclusions that were jumped to yeah. uh, you know with uh, Robin's death and uh, you know it led to certain conversations that I think were uh, positive and and helpful for sort of the general public but in in some ways i think it also created kind of misperceptions uh, about you know what happened in in the case of his death and that those were uh... Y- you know his was a case that uh... you know went beyond depression and and uh, the, you know wasn't necessarily a situation where sort of you know the rules of uh... you know mental health and, and what to do in these cases would have necessarily applied
0: no question about Uh, David Skoff, it's I-T-Z-K-O-F-F. The book is called Robin, the Definitive Biography. The Definitive Biography, an untold story of Robin Williams, a great book, as a matter of fact. Uh, Robin Williams was a beloved entertainer, and when he died suddenly in August 2014 at the age of 63, his passing stunned millions in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, In addition to that whole thing that I just told you about, uh, Robin Williams and I were the exact same age. Oh, goodness, yeah. Which made me sit back and go, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. He's awfully young to be doing that. Uh, I mean, yeah, he was, I think, a couple of months older than me. That was about it. So I I thought about that as well. Then you learned about uh, Lewy body syndrome and all these other things. But you uh, how long did it take you to write the book?
4: Uh, It was about a a three-and-a-half-year, four-year process total. I mean, I I spent maybe about a year to a a year-and-a-half uh you know just focusing on the the reporting of it just uh getting trying to get a sense of you know who uh, might be comfortable talking to me waiting for people who obviously you know had had really uh suffered a uh, tragedy and and of course needed uh you know time I think to to process what they had uh been through and and also uh you know waiting out uh, there was a there was a terrible a uh, legal dispute within within his oh, yeah. family over, uh, you know, some matters related to his estate. So while that was taking place, I was talking to uh, people who knew Robin at earlier stages of his life, uh, I mean, friends going all the way back to, uh, you know, grammar school, and uh, educators, teachers he had had, people he'd worked with on various uh, projects, uh, and, and also spending time with a... Um, he had an archive, uh, just uh, you know, correspondence and uh, personal papers, all the, the scripts that he uh, had collected in, in his career uh, that he had archived at Boston University. So I spent time uh, kind of looking at all that and seeing what was there. And then uh, uh, after all the reporting, uh, I spent probably another year or so just writing and, and still talking to people even as I was writing. Uh, and, and again, it took probably about you know, three and a half years or so.
0: You know, it's interesting. I've, I've been doing this uh, morning show and then the afternoon show now. Uh, I've been in radio for 48 years. And so I've wow. met just about everybody who's ever done anything in the entertainment business. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. So I get a lot of calls from people going, what is this all about? Because I think for the average woman and man who are going to work every day at the broom factory and, and you know, they're living a, a happy enough life but they don't have a lot of money, they don't have... And they look at this and say, he had everything. Why would you do yeah. this? And, and I try to explain to them, it, it's just the reason they do it in the first place is what causes them to eventually do what they do. It's this drive that they get. They're driven. I mean, Robin Williams won... How, how many Oscars did he win? I know he, uh, he won. He yeah.
4: won, yeah, He won one. He, he won. was okay. nominated four times. Four. Uh, you know, three, three times as a leading actor, and and uh, one finally as a supporting actor. Yeah.
0: And that's where he won as a supporting actor.
4: Yeah, yeah, for uh, goodwill Hunting.
0: Great movie. He was perfect for that. Yeah. So people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which is, uh,
5: which is interesting because the genie might arguably be his most iconic role oh, for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Very. Yeah,
4: cool. I think. That's that's a wonderful performance. I mean, that that is just so. You, you need somebody who can kind of uh, mm-hmm. just go to uh, every you know every planet in the galaxy all at once, and uh, you know he really took full advantage of that character.
0: He did indeed. Uh, hopefully, you'll get a quick laugh, good laugh out of that out of this one because I I I we used to live at 20th Street and Second Avenue in New York. I did I did voiceover for decades, uh, so you know. Had a wonderful time, but I do remember when that movie Aladdin came out, um, or actually before it came out, I was sitting down waiting to cut a bunch of commercials. I don't remember for who, but one of the other voiceover <laughs> talents come, talent comes in. He sits down next to me. He's like, "Oh my God!" I said, "What's the matter with you?" And he goes, "This world, it's, the world is just not fair." And I said, "Why is the world not fair?" He said, uh-huh. "This this movie Aladdin. They cast the movie Aladdin today." And they chose Robin Williams. <laughs> I would have been much better at that. Like,
3: what?
4: <laughs> yeah. Why don't you settle down?
0: So I'm glad you got a laugh All out right. of that, Dave, because I sure did. <laughs> I'll yeah. Tell you that.
4: Yeah. I, I, my my apologies to your uh, your your colleague there, but I don't think the role was ever uh, destined to be his. I'm I'm, well, I'm no.
0: sorry to, to tell him. Dave, what you first heard of Robin Williams taking his own life? What were what was your? Obviously, you're a fan.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd written about him on a few occasions for the Times, and uh, you know, and I, I, the longest piece that I did with him, I had gone on the road with him for a few days. Mm. Uh, you know, when he was doing what, what would become a, essentially his last uh, comedy tour. It was a tour called Se- uh, Weapons of Self Destruction, and yeah. it was, uh, you know, the 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 tour itself was all about uh, a lot of. Uh, you know, difficult experiences he'd had in the last couple of years of, of uh you know, falling off the wagon and relapsing into alcoholism, getting sober, uh having a very tough uh divorce and then even having open heart surgery, which uh you know, had happened basically when he when he first uh tried to start the tour and started having these heart problems and needed to have valve replacement surgery. So, uh you know I mean he was very candid in 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 the stand up shows about how he talked about these things, certainly in our interviews, he was very open, so uh you know of course, it was pretty devastating to think that somebody who had endured all of this and uh, you, you know uh you know for his life to uh, to have ended that way, but again, you know we didn't know uh all the the circumstances at, at the time in terms of uh you know, the disease that he had, and, right. and uh, you know, I think, uh, as sad as it is, I think it was logical that, uh, you know, people wanted to make the connection that, you know, he he took his life sort of out of uh, pain and, and desperation, and it may have been the case, but it could have also been, uh, you know, a situation where he didn't entirely know what he was uh, doing, or right. knew who he was at the time, or what, you know, it may have been a kind of terrible, fleeting impulse that, that he acted on. We just don't know.
0: Yeah, because on all the documentaries you see, they talk about the fact that he, he his, they had canceled the crazy ones. Uh, he, his movies weren't doing all that well. He had some financial problems because of divorce and all the rest of it. and I, They just kind of kept piling the problems up. But I, I wonder, you know, he came from a very wealthy family, so I, am I wrong in, in just assuming that, Money problems weren't really a big deal for Robin Williams.
2: Yeah,
4: at that point, I don't think that that was a likely factor, and not even because of you know his his wealthy background, but he had earned quite a bit in his own lifetime. He you know set up trusts for all three of his children who were adults at that point, and their you know their their trusts had had paid out. Uh, you know, he had uh, you know a prenup with the, the his his wife, his third wife, who became his widow. I mean, all all those people were taken care of after his uh, his his death. So uh, you know, it, it's just the nature of a disease that is uh, degenerative, and and that you know has a lot of uh, you know effects on on just how people process information, how how they perceive the world, and uh, you know people people who suffer from it sadly uh, can experience tremendous. Uh, paranoia, they can have uh, hallucinations, and they can have massive uh, personality changes, and it's, it's, you know, hard to know. Uh, even, even for people that were with him in the end, uh, you know, they may not know entirely how how much of the disease was at play when this was right. happening.
0: No, very true. I, I, I've I been lucky enough, as I said, I've been in, in, in the business uh, for 48 years, now going on 49, and I know a number uh-huh. of people. I didn't know Robin Williams, but I know a number of people, and I know that Friends of friends, when they meet somebody, and I don't really want to throw anybody's name out there, they got they always, go, God, what a jerk. And I said, no, 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 you have to understand something. That's how he really is. He's extremely shy. and they yeah. don't understand yeah. that. and I understand that Robin Williams was
5: ter- terribly shy.
4: I think certainly for people that you know he wasn't familiar with or wasn't uh, yet comfortable with, I mean, mm-hmm. he could certainly be a very uh, inward person and a very uh, you know internalized person. I think certainly the sense that you might get just from uh, his performance style, the way that he came across in his comedy and in his films, is that he was very uh, extroverted and and explosive. And and you know he he put on a certain amount of that act for people in his day to day interactions. I think to put people at ease and to make them feel comfortable around him, but also to make himself feel comfortable because that was not. Sort of who he was naturally that you know he, he's sort of doing that to uh, to make him feel at ease around people that he is probably a little bit fearful of uh, being judged by
0: yeah that's a great way to put it Dave. because that that i try to tell people if he had been acting like he did on stage it was to keep his distance from you the yeah. fact that he was just being himself meant he kind of liked being around you that if, if, if he did go into his act, it kind of meant in a way that he didn't want you near him, basically.
4: Or, <laughs> right. Or, or again, just as, a, you, you know, it was a kind of protective measure on uh, on his part. I yep. mean, there are stories both, both uh, you know, Pam Dauber, who was his co-star on uh, Mork & Mindy all those years, and his first wife, uh, Valerie Velarde, they both told me stories about, meeting Robin for the first time and that in in both of those situations he would sort of put on a character for them that with uh with Valerie he pretended yeah. to be a frenchman and with uh you know, with with Pam Dauber, he pretended to be Russian, and they, they had no idea that he was putting them on at first. It really took them, you know, a minute or so to to, to realize that uh, you know this was an act. And and it's not because obviously he came to care for both of those people greatly, but it wasn't wasn't that he was put off by them. It's that again, it, it if he were to reveal his true self to them right away, there's a possibility on his part that. He would be rejected, and that would de- yeah. would have devastated him.
0: There's no doubt about it. The book is called Robin, the Definitive Biography and Untold Story of Robin Williams. Dave, thanks so much for this interview because, oh, as my I said, pleasure. for me personally, it came at a wonderful time because I was kind of like, re- after the Kate Spade thing, the day after watching yeah. three hours of Robin Williams' life, uh, yeah, you even helped me out. I appreciate that.
4: Well, if I can help out in the the slightest at at a moment like this, uh, I'm grateful for it. And uh, thank you for your uh, interest in the book. I appreciate that. Absolutely, sir.
0: Dave Itzkoff, ITZKOFF. The book is available everywhere. Robin, the definitive biography, an untold story of Robin Williams. Thank you. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. This is Tom for Flow. For the past 35 years, Flow's passion to invent a better way has created some of the finest recreational products available. Cargo CargoMax trailer line is a perfect example of their innovation. This trailer is redefining the utility trailer industry. They start with a strong aluminum frame and then add a thermoform polymer bed. It gives you a nearly indestructible one-piece trailer body. And since it's molded, it adds style that the trailer industry has never seen. They even beat it with a large sledgehammer at 20 below zero to prove how tough it is. Best of all, you'll never worry about dents, rust, rot, or paint. Visit their website at FLOEINTL.com to find your local dealer and to see videos of this unique trailer, including a video showing hockey star Ryan Souter shooting pucks at it, trying to break it. You'll quickly see how Flo has earned the reputation for quality products and offering you more for your money. Flo, a better way. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutrimost Weight Loss Plan. And now you can find out how to have success losing weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth, just like me, at their free informational dinner on Monday, June 18th, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. Those unwanted pounds will melt away really fast. I've lost over 55 pounds at Neutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth after being educated on clean eating, finding out what foods my body prefers, and I now know the foods that are weight gain triggers. As I've said over and over again, the nutrimost Weight Loss Plan is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food. I'm never hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Call now to register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner. It is on June 18th. To register, call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Thank you again to David's cough for uh, for calling in. He's going to be on the first hour, and things got mixed up, but he was nice enough to go out of his way to call in the second hour. Uh, the, yeah, the Robin Williams thing was really weird, because I watched three hours of his life on Monday night. I get on the show the next day on the afternoon <coughs> show here, and I find out Kate Spade had killed herself, and I almost, an, well, she used a scarf, was he used a belt, but they both hanged themselves from a doorknob. Yeah. Not yeah. good. So it was very, very depressing. I From mean, a know. doorknob? Yeah.
1: How do you. What? He. Yeah, he must have looped the belt around the doorknob oh, and around his neck and then just kind of. The...
0: No, and just you sit down and choke yourself. Yeah, back. you just
1: make it tight enough so when you sit down, it
0: yeah That on sounds
1: him. horrendous. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, like it way really does. worse than a normal well, hanging. I see people who do that, they're punishing themselves. Yeah. I mean, Ugh. Yeah. 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 I don't like that at but all. But I have a, a well, really. Well, you probably
3: won't be
2: doing that. A yeah. really.
1: Uh, uh, insightful quote probably one of the most insightful things i think with people with depression but robin williams did say he goes i think the saddest people always try their hardest to make people happy because they know what it's like to feel absolutely worthless and they don't want anyone else to feel like that
0: see i think that's right on I've, the money yeah. yeah
1: i've read
6: that before and yeah
1: and you can tell that's i you know it's when you would watch him he was very manic but in a very fun and just yeah Catching, way. I mean, he was yeah. so engaging, and I think he, um, it was like he was always on when he was in the public eye, he always felt like he had to be on because I don't think maybe from away from the public eye that's when the real robin would come out and you would yeah. see that sadness and stuff. So yeah. I think he tried to compensate for that quite well, that's a bit. that's
6: why so many comedians are depressed mm-hmm. and deal with like drug abuse and alcoholism and all that stuff. Well, because I was, they're yeah, self medicating The
1: Gilbert godfrey uh documentary, I don't know if you've seen it, I think it's on oh, yeah. Hulu.
6: It's really good.
0: Yes. It's
1: really I mean good. I would have never thought of him being that way.
0: What do you mean the it? fact that he took all of the hotel soaps and shampoos? And <laughs> yeah. He had
6: I can see that.
0: hundreds
5: of bottles of shampoo.
6: I have a box of shampoo and soap oh from hotels. Okay, Gilbert. They throw it away. <laughs>
5: okay, Gilbert. If you <laughs> it, don't use even it. Even if you don't open it?
1: Oh, yeah, I don't know. His wife was pulling yeah. free stuff uh, stuff from, out from underneath the, the bed, like those cabinet, storage, the storage stuff from under your bed, just full of deodorants oh, yeah. and yep. shampoos
6: hey. and soap. Hey. You, you pay for it on hey. your hotel bill. Well, well
1: if we ever have like uh, a nuclear scare or something, he will be set
6: and yeah, he's he will ready. smell fresh. He will. <laughs> I do it because it's nice for guests. Mm-hmm. It is nice for guests. It That's is true. not that we have you know hundreds of guests every year well it, it's hard especially if you have but, people flying in yeah they can't
1: bring shampoo and yeah stuff exactly with them on a carry on yeah, so then they have to go to the drugstore when they get here so it's nice just to have that kind of stuff yeah
6: like dan's oldest brother when his family comes into town it's his brother his wife and their three kids mm-hmm. and i'm like that's like five mini bottles of shampoo right i need there. to be
0: prepared right there alone <laughs> it's true i'm gonna read a uh, an obituary Oh, and the reason I'm reading it is to lighten the movie <laughs> because it's been explained by the man who wrote it. Have you heard of Kathleen Demlo's obituary? Mm-mm. Did I read that on the show? In, no, you read uh, it on KQ. No. On KQ, but yeah. not here. Uh, this was actually in the paper just a few days ago. Kathleen Demlo Schunk was born on March 19, 1938, to Joseph and Gertrude Schunk of Obasso. This is in Minnesota, by the way. Schunk. Schunk. S C H U N K. Uh, this was in Wabasso, Minnesota. She married Dennis Demlow at St. Anne's in Wabasso in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle Demlo, and moved to California. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents. Hmm. In...
6: Airing her dirty laundry. <laughs> her oh, dirty laundry.
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Shunk. She passed away on May 31st, 2018, in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better
5: place without her. I'm guessing the person who wrote the obituary was her husband. Her her son.
6: I was going to say, was it her kid?
5: Yeah, yep. Yikes. The Yeesh. son who wrote a harsh
0: obituary about his late mother spoke out on Wednesday about why he and his sister decided to reveal why they felt this world is a much better place without Kathleen Demlo, J. Demlow, De- when well, they get it spelled. It says Demalo here, but I'm sure it's Demlow. Uh, 58, told the Daily Mail that his mother who died Thursday at the age of 80 prompted a dysfunctional childhood for him and his sister Gina, and she became pregnant by her brother-in-law. We wanted to finally get the last word, Demlo said. Now, I, I just, they have his name spelled the same way, D-E-H-M-A-L-O. So it's Demalo, but her name was Demlo. So I don't know if they changed it. The, I don't know. Uh, we wanted to get the last word, Demlo told the uh, news outlet. You could write it all down in a book or turn it into a movie. It is Demlo. It is Demlo. I yeah. thought so. Uh, and people wouldn't believe what uh, we went through. The siblings wrote that Demlo abandoned them in 1962 as she became pregnant and moved to California. Demlo's parents then raised Damalo. His name is spelled totally different than hers. I don't know why. And his sister, she passed away on March 31st, 2018, in Springfield, and will now face judgment.
6: On mom's birthday.
0: The, yeah, that's right. The now, no, mom's birthday is March.
6: 31st did you say march
0: 31st oh i meant may 30. if i did it's you said may
6: march which i'm sure you're used to just saying yeah, march 30. Yeah, 31st more true. because of am
0: the now removed obituary yeah they they finally deleted the obituary because it got so many why complaints. would you
6: let him write the obituary oh,
0: that i don't know
6: i feel like even if you're a terrible person your obituary should probably be like kind of okay like she they were. were all right
0: she will not be missed by Jean and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Demlo's sister, Judy, described the obit to the male as nasty and said it hurt the family tremendously before questioning why people are discussing it because it's not important. Yeah, it's kind of odd, I'm sorry, but it is important because people, nobody would understand. Oh, and then Demalo says, not important? Sure, they have no idea what we went through back then. In the 50s and 60s, nobody talked about anything. The 58-year-old said he and his sister had to piece together information about their family and mother throughout their lives, claiming the two didn't know they had half-brothers until years after they were born. The rare instances is Damalo uh, recalls her taking a break from having a great life in California with her other kids and visiting them. The two didn't have much, uh, so much as a card from her. I remember she came home twice, and on one occasion, she was showing pictures of her and her kids playing cards and drinking beer. G and I were standing in the room, just standing there, and she didn't even acknowledge they existed. Mm. It's like we didn't exist. The revenge obituary was pulled from the Redwood Falls Gazette and removed from Legacy.com. So she comes back and doesn't even acknowledge her own two children. Why would you do that? That's... Really
1: that's weird.
6: Mother of the year. Mm. I don't even understand, like, as a mother, how you could possibly I know. do that ever. I uh, don't know. Like, I can't even shut the door when I pee. <laughs> <laughs> I <know. laughs>
1: Otherwise, you get the hands over the door. Yeah, that's no, I true.
6: Get, you get the. Mama! It. Mama! Yeah. Mama!
0: <laughs> so, you can't even cut a wind <laughs> in, in peace.
6: Yeah, without yeah i don't that's so great there has to be some sort of mental issue like she disconnect pri-
1: she probably didn't have that maternal instinct probably yeah. didn't even want children to begin with yeah that, that could have been
6: it i was just talking yeah. about that how like in like your when you were having kids you <laughs> <laughs> um i feel like so many more people had kids because they felt like they should mm-hmm. you know like that's what you do yeah and whereas now, not as many people are having kids because they're like, I don't want to, so I'm not going to have them.
0: Right. Which but is we fair. Wanted, we yeah. wanted kids. Though. Yes. That was a big difference. We wanted yeah. a boy and a girl, and we got very, very lucky. We had a boy and a girl.
6: Yeah.
0: We just got lucky. I don't know why it happened. I don't
6: know. Yeah, but I feel like women that are around like your age and mom's age and stuff yeah. felt more pressure to just like this is just what you do like they didn't feel like they had an option to not have kids if they didn't want them which is like if you don't want kids you definitely shouldn't have children oh god no No, well
1: I'd rather have kids go to parents that want them versus you know
6: yeah I have a friend that doesn't want kids and she's like I constantly people are like you'll change your mind and I'm like don't have kids if you don't want to have children because you're going to resent them Mm -hmm. and be a terrible mother Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, my father actually, after telling me, of course, he never liked me when I was seven years old. He's a good guy. He then once said, and my brother Todd was sitting on the porch at my grandparents' house, and he very loudly said, "We should have had never had any kids after Tom, because apparently I was the worst child ever to him. Okay. And, and Todd, we, he went out on the porch, and you saw the rocking chair you're sitting and going back and forth because he got up and left. So yeah, my father should have never had children. It should it should have never happened. Well, first well, of all, because he was nuts. He
6: was a nut job. So he was a nut job. <laughs> That's grandpa, a different story. Grandpa nut job. Never got to meet him.
0: No, you never did. Never
6: got the privilege.
0: Oh, he was dead before Andy was born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was. Uh, he died very, very. He was only, I think,
5: sixty-two when he died.
6: Harrison was the only one that met him, right? Like he's I the. He would, I he, would, he
5: would have been like two. Yeah. Because Harrison's I he one, remember. Is he like? Four years older than me? I'm the Amanda's, same age as Amanda, Amanda's I
6: a little bit older than you. Oh. And then Harrison, I think, is three years older than
5: you. Yeah.
0: Me. So why do you have children if you don't want children? I don't understand There's that. just,
6: like, a pressure mm. on women. It's just, like, that's just something you do. Which yeah, but... I've always wanted children. Yeah. Like, very badly. So I am having children. So yeah. there you go. But
0: Dan wanted know. children, too.
6: Yeah. Like your... when, on our third date, it was like, what are your deal breakers? And I asked him that. And he said, if you smoked or you didn't want kids.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the deal. Here, uh, to be totally honest, once you were born, we said, oh God, after this, we can't have
6: any more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, her mom's doctor told her she shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, she couldn't
0: have any more. Kids. She was like,
6: you will die. <laughs> no, she, Please she couldn't.
0: Stop. It was, I mean, it was a, a miracle that you were born healthy. <laughs> Was really unbelievable yep. that you were born out
6: Just a miracle, baby. No big deal.
0: God, you know why did I even say it? Because now I gotta listen to it for the rest of my life. But honestly, when Alex was born, I held her in my hand.
3: Mm-hmm. No, I
0: do have big hands, yes. But I held her. She was like I was five was like pounds. Right here and their little Tootsie's were right here. Yeah, she I was, was 12, five pounds. I man. think I
1: was five pounds when I was born too. Yeah, I had IUGR.
5: What's that? Intrauterine uterine mm. growth restriction uh. growth restriction my yes, mom just right. smoked
1: when she was pregnant
6: <laughs> that'll do it <laughs> yeah. that will do it. maybe mom not smoked francy. and she's lying about mom did not smoke. my medical guarantee. diagnosis no mom I'm just
0: kidding did not smoke I no. can guarantee you she never hit the pipe
6: she said that she tried to smoke when she was younger like way yeah, before like but she's like bones. I was terrible at it I'm like I can't even if I tried no. to smoke I would vomit I don't know what would happen. It would no, be bad. it would not. It wouldn't be good. go over. Well. well, we were
0: just talking about that yesterday. It's funny because you, as you pointed out, I think you can get on an elevator about a half an hour after somebody who smokes uh-huh. and still uh-huh. smell. Oh, that it's, they were it's there. a strong it's strong odor. It's awful both
1: I grew up in a household both my parents smoked. Yeah, I mean, I remember too. driving in the in the car and the windows would be up. I'm like, "Can you please crack a window? I Smoking can't Smoking in your car. I know. That's never that It used to be a lot more common
5: in the 80s. And they it it was, would yeah. just
1: crack it. Just like ever so and slightly. i am like I'm like, I'm like at the window just <laughs> <gasps> fresh air.
0: Oh <Yuck. laughs> god. Gross! You would be hanging your lips out of the window. <laughs> oh
2: my god! Like a kind dog. Oh, well,
5: it's like. I think once you've exhaled, that the nicotine is pretty much already gone. So what's the point of keeping all the smoke in the air? Hot
6: boxing? <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> my uh. now, now my dad's dad smoked rarely. He
0: did smoke, but not very much. His mother didn't smoke at all, and my my mom's mom didn't smoke at all. Hey, but
6: your parents were in the era that everybody, that everybody smoked, smoked. Yeah. That's true. forever because they're like, it's good for your soul.
0: I heard a lot of people in their teens now are smoking again. Is mm-hmm. that true?
1: It's a hipster thing, I
0: think. Yes, Why? It
1: is.
6: Whenever I see someone around I my age know. or younger smoking, I want to go up and slap them in the face. <laughs> like, you need to make better life choices. <laughs> I think the hipsters
1: think it's, they're a rebel or something. I don't uh-huh.
5: know. They think it makes them look cool. Uh, just less. like even if you want to look cool just don't inhale because that alone decreases your odds of getting cancer you by don't so look much cool
6: you look like you're stupid
5: well you also don't look cool having flippy mustache and you know half mohawk yeah but, but that's not harming that looks, anybody it's harming me
6: it's harmful to
0: me i saw him about three weeks ago there was a guy he's probably about 18 years old he had a mohawk but that wasn't enough because he also had a ponytail, but that wasn't enough. He also had to dye his ponytail pink. Yep. Well, yeah. Mohawk, ponytail, pink.
6: See, that kind mm. of thing, it's like, whatever.
0: True. I know. Good. Whatever you need to You're do. You're not you harming anybody. No. Right, exactly. Like You
6: look dumb, but if you feel good about yourself, great.
0: We will be right back in just a couple of minutes. Tom Bernard Show.
2: We are here with Chris Lindahl. What's the latest? Chris Lindahl Real Estate, the real estate brokerage, is finally here. We've declared our innovation independence. Your innovation <laughs> independence? You're, <laughs> you're dressed independently today, I will tell you that. That's... You look good, man. You look great. <laughs> Thank you. And we also have something super exciting for KQ listeners. We are going to give away a free listing side commission now through June 29th. How does that work? So, so we're going to sell someone's house for free. What? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, and it's just a way of saying thank you, and KQRS has been amazingly supportive to the Chris Lindahl brand and now to Chris Lindahl Real Estate. It's a way for us to say thank you. It's also not a bare-bones offer, so everything that Chris Lindahl does to get you top dollar for your house, we're still going to do, and we're going to do it potentially for free For one listener. Now, how do people get that done? How how, how do they qualify for the, was it a drawing or what? Yep. So it's, so it's a drawing. So you can go to chrislandall.com. That's Chris with a K. And you can click on the free listing side commission giveaway tab to sign up, or you can call 763-401-SOLD. That is a wonderful thing.
0: And when, uh, when do they need to do this buy? So the
2: deadline is June 29th, June 29th. And how do they do it? They go to ChrisLindahl.com. That's Chris with a K or call 763-401-SOLD. And I just want to say thank you so much for all of the support during our transition. We're super excited and we're bringing innovation to another level. It is a wonderful thing.
0: Chris Lindahl. Thank you. You're a good man. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment.
1: You're so iconic, standing on stage with a drink in one hand and a oh, cigarette and in the other. <laughs>
0: today is Dean Martin's birthday, Tom Jones' birthday, and Prince's birthday. Jeez.
1: What
6: do you think of that? It's also note. my nephew's birthday. It is? Brittany's nephew's birthday. Really? This kid, if he ever decides to show up.
0: If he ever decides to show up, it will be good. So, who, who, which nephew?
6: George. He turned 16 today.
0: George turns 16. Today. Chris is oldest. I like Chris. Chris a good guy. He is
6: a good guy. He's the closest guest, to Dan.
0: Marvelous. Kevin Ring. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing well, thanks. Glad to hear it. Um, I tell you what. Uh, criminal justice reform expert Kevin Ring, the president of Families Against Mandatory Minimums. He is author of Scalia's Court, A Legacy of Landmark Opinions and Dissents. President Trump seems to be in the pardoning mood. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, I'd have to agree with you. He seems to be in the pardoning mood. What is that all about?
3: I can't tell you with 100%. I think he found a new toy. It's it's like um, he's got this awesome power, which currency power is, that can't be checked by anybody else. And I think he's taking it for a test run.
0: It's amazing because he's here's what I like, first of all. Kim Kardashian West could not stop badmouthing President Trump until she needed a favor from him. Then all of a sudden, he's the greatest guy in the world, so he does pardon the woman that she wanted pardoned. I just, all the filth in politics now, Kevin, really bothers me a lot. I, I, I tend to be a centrist. I'm not really, I don't mind Republicans, and I don't mind Democrats. I do mind the people on the far edges of both, uh, any extreme opinion and you just cannot seem to get past past the, uh, if you don't agree with me, I hate you thing. Um, what happened to us as a society where our president can't stay off of Twitter, where all of our politicians do dirty dealings behind, have politicians always been dirty dealers behind closed doors, Kevin?
3: Oh yes. They're clean today by comparison. I mean, back <laughs> in the old days, they'd be on retainer for some companies and stuff. Oh, uh, God. You know, it's, the system is actually more transparent remember there were duels on the floor of the house and senate yeah. um you know it's it's just it seems nasty uh now and people are petty and the language is coarse and there's seems to be less focus on the national interest and we're we're getting more tribal not less and so it's just, it's off-putting, I think, to most people.
0: It is to me. I want to talk about, if you don't mind, for for a, for a minute or two, about tribalism, because that's the exact impression I got, but people go, no, oh, no, 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 it's not a tribal thing. See, I I think it is fear-based, and I think it, we've gone tribal because of it.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think, the, and there's a real, like, um, whataboutism going on, where, you know, one side gets rid of the filibuster for certain positions and the other side says oh yeah well we're going to do this and then we do this and everybody no one asks is this right or is this how i want to be treated they just say has your side ever done something like this to me and so we've just ratcheted up this mm-hmm. you know sort of contest where it's it's just all petty and i think like what our our discourse would be so much better if you were just prohibited from doing two things imputing motives to somebody you just, no matter what you thought, you were not allowed to impute motives to him. And two, you're not allowed to ch- make a charge of hypocrisy. Even if the person was hypocritical, don't make that charge. Win on the merits. Because those are the only two arguments people make today, is that this guy's a bad guy, because, and he wants to do this for some reason I'm just conjuring up. Or two, he's done it to me before, so I'm justified doing it. And we don't fight about reason or evidence or policy. It's, it's, it's all personal and petty and small.
0: It is. And petty is a a perfect word for it. It's these petty little things, and people get so angry about it. I've never seen anything like it. I I, uh, am of the age, I was a teenager, a young teenager in the 60s, and I was 16 years old when, uh, I was 11 when JFK was assassinated, and RFK, I was uh, 15, 16 years old, something like that. And... Boy, I tell you, the way people acted back then is a lot like they're acting now, and that really scares me because there was a lot of violence behind all that. I hope that doesn't happen again, Kevin.
3: Yeah, I know. I, you know, if you read um, old history, I mean, people think things are bad now. They should, you know, if oh. you read uh, some of those old books uh, about the 60s and 70s and sort of domestic terrorism and the violence and blowing up government buildings, then you start, now it seems like a pretty docile time. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. And I hope it doesn't get to that. And I and I and I don't think it will. But but it seemed like we could at least function. You could pass major legislation even in that era. Whereas now, I think our politicians, in order to be more responsive to their constituents, talk like them. And, you know, instead of leading, yeah, yeah. they get down into the same sort of gutter. And, and so we're crippled. We can't pass even the most basic. We don't pass budgets. We, we don't pass immigration bills, even if most people agree. Criminal justice reform is an area where there's bipartisan agreement, and we can't pass it because we don't have unanimity. And so it's, it's really, we, we've got stalled a little bit. You
0: know, it's interesting, Kevin. We in Minnesota here have a congressman. matter of fact, he's my congressman because it's uh, a lot of the metro here in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Um, he's leaving Congress to run for attorney general. And I wonder why would he do that? Because he would have had that Congress position for the rest of his life. He would have never lost. But he wants to risk it all to become attorney general. And apparently uh, his friends tell me, I mean, I don't talk to him, but his friends tell me the reason he wants to be attorney general is strictly so he can sue Donald Trump into oblivion. He wants to file so many lawsuits against Donald Trump. Like, what are
3: you doing? Serve the people. What about serving the people? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's, it's, um, it's sad. And in some ways though, I don't think our politicians are worse than the people. Well, I mean, I, I, I always yeah. say this. I think, I think the problem is us. I think, yeah. I think we demand this like when in the old days, you know, senators would at least try to find agreement and that sort of stuff. I think now when they do that, the extremes in our parties, you know, punish people for that. And they say, don't, you know, don't, don't work with him. He's the devil. And then they get primaried for doing that. And so I think we're pulling the members apart. There used to be more camaraderie in Washington. And, and I, and I, so I just, I think we're part, I think we're the problem. I don't, I think they're doing what they think we want them to do.
0: I think that's a very good point, Kevin. We're talking to Kevin
3: Ring. Tell me about Fam. SAM is a national criminal justice reform organization, nonprofit. It's been around for 27 years, and we have the unremarkable mission of trying to create a more fair and effective justice system, which is only hard because, again, we have these competing impulses in our country of people who want fairness and they believe in second chances, but then we also have this vengeful streak. So we we, we ask for stiff punishments, and if we hear about a high-profile crime or we get scared about something. We demand Congress pass a law about that and make those people go away and not realizing that some of those are our neighbors or family members who, you know, made mistakes but are going to rejoin society someday and we should really, if we care about public safety, make sure that they come back better than they went in. So FAM works on both sentencing and prison reform at the federal and state level and we really, our focus is individualization. We want people to be punished as individuals, not through cookie cutter justice of one size fits all penalties, and when they're in prison, we want them to get the rehabilitation, treatment, job training that they need to come back out and succeed. You
0: know, it's amazing, Kevin. We uh, we talked about this once in a while, but uh, the area in which I grew up uh, here in Minneapolis, uh, when I go visit some people I've known in prison, the Stillwater State Prison, there are a few prisons here. I know about half the prisoners and I know almost all the guards because they grew up in my neighborhood.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's really weird how the guards, almost all of them grew up in the same neighborhood with the criminals. Yes. What is that all about?
3: Yes. Well, and it's funny. I mean, there's a thin line because, um, you know, we always have to deal with prisons going on lockdown and family members not being able to visit their loved ones. And it's, you know, the. Argument is because there's contraband drugs or phones getting into the prisons. Well, most of the time that's the guards. Um, it's the guards who are accepting payoffs to do that, uh, or bringing things in. And yeah, it's you know, the the, the line between guard and and uh, prisoner is not that bright. And you're right about they come from the same neighborhood. We build our prisons usually in rural areas, yep. and so you get a certain talent pool of people, and you know. These are not social workers or psychologists. They're usually there for just the brute force of keeping people locked up, and, um, and that can lead to corruption. And so that's another part of our system, um, actually, that could use some reform and rethinking is what do we want? I mean, if this is a correction system, we should be in the business of correcting people. And too often it seems we're still in the mode of punishing them when prison itself is supposed to be the punishment.
0: Now, from what I understand, Kevin, uh, prisons in America are big, big business. A lot of people make a lot of money from our prison system. Uh, Is that
3: true? Well, I think that's somewhat overstated, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I think there's money involved. But it's, again, I think think things like private prisons, which I don't support, but I think, you know, that's a clear example where, okay, a corporation is running a prison for a state or a federal government, and they... You know, it's just like we we ask Raytheon or or Boeing to build our bombers, right? Like So there's some government services we contract out, and it bothers people that we do it with prisons. I get that. We don't want people trafficking in human misery. Right. The problem is our public prisons are terrible, too, and our public employee unions, um, our prison guard unions, also fight to keep the jails full so that they keep their jobs. In communities, when when governors try to close prisons in rural areas, the communities say, oh, don't do this because this is a source of revenue for our town. So, again, it's like we're all complicit in this sort of, you know, over-incarceration problem that we have. It's most noticeable in its, you know, sort of private enterprise form. But the bigger problem is, again, public unions. Uh, you know, small towns who don't want to lose, the, you know, what yeah. they consider to be an economic force. So it's something that requires us all this, all of us to check our motives.
0: But Kevin, so is it true that America imprisons people at a higher rate than almost anywhere else?
3: It is. And well, the only reason I never, I mean, the statistic is true that we have the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world. What I always, my caveat is, I don't think that means we're less free because I don't think North Korea is sharing their numbers. Yeah. You know, yeah, China. And so those people, those people who may not be in prisons, are still not free. And so I don't, you know. But in terms of yes, in terms of prison population, we we exceed everybody: Russia, China. You know, it's it's amazing. We're, we can't be a more corrupt people. That doesn't seem right. That just our human nature of the no. people who happen to inhabit this continent are that way. But but those are the statistics.
0: What can we do as private citizens to help you
3: uh, get where you want to be? Well, I think people have to care about this issue, and it's hard because we all have things that we care about, and thinking about prisoners is not one of them. Yeah. One, because they're not in our face. You know, they're removed. But two, it's very easy. Well, you know, I mean, you, you want to save the baby seals or you want to save orphans or people who are just innocent and virginal, and then prisoners, I mean, people who did something wrong, who sold drugs or yeah. hurt somebody It's hard to elicit any sympathy for them. But I think to just keep in mind that it's in our self-interest how we treat prisoners and how we punish them, because 95 percent of all prisoners are going to come home someday. So it's not like we're sending them to some island. They're going to come back to our neighborhoods and communities. And so how we punish and rehabilitate them is going to affect public safety. Uh, We can't wish this problem away. So it's really in all of our interests. We spend a lot of money doing things that don't work, and that's our tax dollars. So it's really just figuring out how this system affects everybody and then taking action based on that.
0: I tell you, Kevin, an interesting – just a couple of years ago, uh, a man very close to the family was sentenced to prison. And my wife and I and our daughter, Alex, would go visit him every Saturday. And Alex and my wife are attractive women Taking two attractive women into a prison is really uncomfortable. I will tell you that. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like, whoa. Okay. Let's I remember,
6: Mom it. called me, and she's like, "Wear a gray sweatsuit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't wear anything. Th- wear a turtleneck, exactly. a moo whatever you've got.
0: It's so amazing, uh, Kevin. How can people reach out to you to try to
3: uh, maybe contribute or, or? Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, to, to, to learn more about us and to, the issue generally, you know, go to fam.org, F-A-M-M.org. Uh, follow us on Facebook or on um, Twitter. And I'm followable on, on Twitter at, um, at Kevin A. Ring. And, um, you know, just plug in. A lot of people are affected by this thing. This is an issue where more people are affected. I, whenever I speak to groups, you know, and I say how many people, you know, have a loved one in prison – I mean, when I was a kid, I don't think anybody would have raised their hand. Now it's always half the class or something, you know, whatever the group is. People, you know, it's, it's affecting more and more of us, so we should be able to do something about it.
0: Kevin, you're a great guest. I appreciate your time today, sir. Well, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate uh, it. Our pleasure. FamM.org. Kevin Ring. We'll be back Tom Bernard Show.